Hey, welcome to another edition of the Exponential Book Tour. I'm Todd Wilson, the founder of Exponential. And uh, today I've got with me my good friend, Bobby Harrington from uh, Renew.org and uh, from Discipleship.org. Welcome, Bobby. Todd, it's great to be with you. I've been looking forward to this. Hey, you know, Bobby, I, we, we've been friends a long time, and I'm realizing, I'm, I'm thinking about something one of your, that your daughter said one time about, you know, how, how she would read all your books. And I, I'm thinking all the times I've, I've known you, if we were doing one of those book tours for every one of your books or every book you've had a hand in, uh, we, we could do a whole series of these, I think. So, well, let me tell the story because I reminded her of this last week. So, um, Several years ago, I'd published a couple of books back to back on disciple making. And uh, she came over and she said to me, Dad, I've got to talk to you. You're writing too many books too fast. They can't be that good. (laughs) (laughs) So so I said, well, honey, you might have a point there. I said, let me ask you this. What did you think of my last book when you read it? She looked at me because <laughs> she's never read any of them. <laughs> well, we need to get her to read this one, Bobby. Today, we're going to talk about your uh, recently released book, Disciple Making, The Core Mission of the Church. Yes. Uh, I know this is something that your heart races faster for, and it's something really important, and the timing of it's so good with uh, – COVID and post-COVID coming and just what's happening in churches these days. So I'm, I'm glad uh, not only that you released the book, but you're jumping on to talk with us today. Well, I'm glad to do it. Well, if you would, Bobby, what, let's just start with a little bit of context, like, you know, lots of different books you could write that you want to write. Why this one? Why this one? And why now? <clears throat> well, um, the truth of the matter is, uh, this is a part of a series that Renew.org is releasing. Uh, it's a series of 12 books on uh, biblical theology. They're short. I call them man books. Um, men are more likely to read a book of about 100 pages. So these are man books. They're also designed for discipling relationships. And somebody else was, we asked somebody else to write it uh, with uh, Scott Sager. And uh, the person had to drop out. So the team came to me and said, would you please write it? And of course, I was happy to write it because I I am very convinced that the church has got to move back to disciple making. It is the core mission and it is the foundation. Uh, As you and I have talked many times, Todd, um, disciple making has to be the core of church planting. In fact, uh, we have an adage, you can plant a church and not get disciples. But if you start a disciple making community, eventually it'll either be a part of a church or lead to a church. So I'm very passionate about this, and uh, I was happy to step in and work with Scott Sager, and uh, we feel real good about the content of this. And it's the first book in the Renew.org series. Mm. Well, let's let's talk a little bit about, I mean, obviously the thesis of this book is that disciple-making is the core mission of the church. Um, Let's press into that a little bit. Like, you know, there's some people who may say, duh, that seems obvious. And there's others that might have to pause and question, well, wait a minute, I got to think about that some more. So just unpack a little bit more this idea that it's the core mission of the church. Yeah. Um, So there's a couple of ways to look at this, but let me just summarize it. Tom Rayner and I had a really good talk last week and I thought, okay, I'm going to have to, you know, help Tom on this topic. 
And uh, right away, he jumped right in. And so if you just boil it down simply to this, what does God want the church to be about? It wants the church to be about leading people to salvation in Christ and then helping them to become more and more like Christ. And right there, if, if you just focus on those two things, salvation and maturity, that's the core mission of the church, and that's disciple-making. Todd, I think that's why in Matthew 28, when Jesus gave the Great Commission, uh, the Great Commission is not to evangelize, and the Great Commission is not to establish churches, although those things will come. They come because what Jesus said is make disciples. And so we disciple lost people, and we also help when people uh, come to faith, of course, they, in the disciple-making process, end up becoming a church. Bobby, we live at a time where, you know, there, there's an activist for everything at this point, you know, we're, and, and many of the activist causes are good causes, racial reconciliation and community development and, and, uh, you know, just lots of different things that are good. So when you boil it down to those two things that you just said, what do you say to people who say, oh, wait a minute, what about fill in the blank? And yeah. a long list of things people are activists for these days. Yeah. So how do you reconcile this yeah. idea of the core purpose with all these other causes? Can, can I just say that that's a great question? And I, I want to explain why. Uh, it's a great question because right now there's a lot of conflict in the church about what should be the focus. There are a lot of people who think it should be social justice. A lot of people think it should be rec racial reconciliation. A lot of other people think it should be about glorifying and worshiping God. In fact, you know, one of the common things is people will say, well, no, the core purpose of the church has to be worship. And let me just reframe all of those things because they're all important, but they're all secondary. Because the main thing is that once we come to faith in Jesus, we seek to live a life like Jesus. And then the question becomes, as we're trying to be like Jesus as the core, as the primary focus, did Jesus care about social justice? Yes. Did Jesus care about racial reconciliation? Yes. Did Jesus care about worshiping God? Well, of course. But the question is, how do we worship God? We worship God by being formed into the image of Jesus. And so we literally worship God in the power of the Holy Spirit as we follow Jesus. So if we keep bringing it back, disciple making is really about focusing on the person and life of Jesus and replicating and imitating it. And that's why disciple making is his core mission. But what, you know, for those that would push back on that, Bobby, and again, let me just keep saying when you're passionate and you're an activist for something you care deeply about that you wake up thinking about, what do you say to the person who says, yeah, but Bobby, uh, we've not made some of these other things important enough. We've not, you know, th that's the reason we need to, at least for a season of time, make some things like racial reconciliation a much higher purpose in the church. So how do you reconcile for somebody who's going to say, yeah, but that, you know, the reason we're not making the progress we ought to, you know, is because we're not elevating those causes high enough. So I have uh, 
as I've thought that through and prayed that through, I have two basic responses. The first response is that when you read through Scripture, Scripture does not call us to these secondary focuses as primary. So, for example, when Paul is writing to the Colossians in Colossians chapter 1, and he said that the whole purpose of his ministry is to present people mature in Christ. And then the whole book of Colossians is really about understanding and emulating Jesus properly. Uh, You know, you look at Philippians chapter 2, and, uh, you know, all of the conflicts in the church in Philippi, and what what does Paul say? Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who uh, in nature was equal to God, but did not consider himself and took the form of a servant. So the New Testament repeatedly brings us back to this. Uh, In fact, Paul says this in 2 Corinthians. You know, I just want to know one thing, Jesus Christ and him crucified in your life. And so the Bible actually helps us from getting distracted on secondary things as primary. The more we keep reading through Scripture, it just draws us to Jesus and being transformed in his image. The second thing I would say about that, Todd, well, well, let me just stay on the text for a second, what it says about being transformed into the image of Jesus. It answers all the other questions so much so that it we don't get distracted uh, and actually make an idol. Now, I know that word is strong saying idol, but some people can become so obsessed with these secondary callings that they actually fail to be Christ-like. They fail to realize that God wants everybody to follow Jesus and become Christians. And it, it, uh, it creates barriers. Whereas if we keep coming back and saying, at the end of the day, the answer to, to racism is identifying with the person of Jesus and following the teachings of Jesus about love and our identity is in Christ, whether we're black, brown, or, or white. And uh, so biblically, I guess I'm making the argument biblically. And then secondary, these other things, when you make them so important, they distract you from reflecting that biblical focus on Jesus and the way of Jesus and being a disciple of Jesus and personally picking up your cross and following Jesus. They become more important practically sometimes. And I hate to say this, but I'm answering your questions they can become, for, for an activist, more important than seeing the world through the eyes of Jesus and following Jesus personally in terms of his, you know, his teaching on how we relate to everyone. Yep. If I can, I, I think what you're saying, Bobby, this idea of an activist, if we were, the, the idea of primary and secondary callings and primary mission and secondary effects I think what you're saying, but correct me if I'm wrong, is if if you were forced to fill in the blank, Jesus, an activist for, your primary thing you'd fill in would be disciple making. And you would say the reason for that is if we really focus on the disciple making the way Jesus did it and as a primary thing, we will also get the Jesus, an activist for compassion, an activist for fill in the blank, the other things, but you won't necessarily, you could go dedicate your life to Jesus and activist for something other than disciple making. 
and never actually get the disciple making part. Yeah, no, that's that's exactly right, Todd. And we got to keep coming back to what is God's desire for human beings? God's desire for all human beings is that they would come to salvation in Christ, and then that each of us, whether we're a you know a homemaker with our children or an accountant uh, in her office or a businessman who's a CEO. God's desire for each of us is that we would learn to live life as Jesus would if he were living our lives in our bodies. And so whatever we are, we the primary calling is to be transformed into the image of Jesus, which is disciple-making. And then these secondary call, callings, as you point out, they're still important. Some of the greatest... Um, activists will be those who are Christ-like people as their primary core, and they see their secondary calling is to work in this space. But when you keep the order right, it'll keep your heart right, your mind right, and it'll help you to treat people right, because you won't see people who oppose you on race or social justice. You won't see them as enemies. You'll just see them as people you need to love like Jesus loved, because that's primary. I know, Bobby, you're trying to pay a lot of attention to the next generation, especially millennials and Gen Z at this point. You're putting yourself with them as much as you can. Um, there's a perception by many that the next generation is more drawn to the secondary things we're talking about than the primary. My question is, does that line up with what you're actually seeing? Not what you're reading, but the, the group of younger people that you journey with where are they on the spectrum of where disciple making is? Uh, yeah, that's a really great question, Todd, because one of the things that we emphasize at Renew is good doctrine. I'm going to tie this in. We emphasize good doctrine, solid biblical theology. But I tell people all the time, if you just emphasize theology, it's not going to go anywhere because theology in and of itself uh, does not Uh, capture the hearts and minds of of young leaders today as much as they need it. But Jesus-style disciple-making does capture it. And the more we emphasize intentional, relational disciple-making, and we help people to see it's what Jesus did, it's um, the heart of Jesus, it's relationship, it's not cookie-cutter answers, it's life on life, helping us be more like Jesus— and in relationships that emphasize that, my experience is that uh, millennials and Gen Z really gravitate to that because in their heart, it beats true. And uh, my concern is that we're losing our center in churches, like we're losing our theological center, but part of it is we've lost our philosophical center or organizing center. So if you just preach doctrine in churches that are attractional churches, um, that's not going to help address the thing in and of itself. And if you don't preach doctrine, the world is totally out discipling the minds of people today. You know, the most recent stat I heard was that Barner Group said that uh, millennials, 65% of millennials no longer think Jesus is the only way. And we're talking about Christian millennials don't think Jesus is the only way. Well, that's a a discipling of the mind question, but if you just try old methods, it's not going to work. But I have found, and I feel really passionate about this, when you focus on intentional relational disciple-making, 
it captures the hearts and minds uh, of, of younger leaders. And Todd, you and I have both seen that with our sons, uh, your son and my son. Uh, you know, a lot of options out there that may have attracted them. But when they finally understood, uh, hey, it's about being like Jesus and helping people to be disciples of Jesus and to do that in relationships of genuine care and love, boom, they're captivated by it. Mm. So, Bobby, let's let me go to the other end of the spectrum a bit here. The we a lot of churches in America at this point, strong churches by most conventional methods uh, or metrics, uh, were founded on or influenced by the purpose-driven model. And Rick Warren's very strong five purposes of the church. How how do we fit the idea of the core purpose being disciple making with something like the five purposes that Rick champions? Todd, thanks for asking that question. Uh, I've had a chance to talk to Rick Warren a little bit about this. And then uh, Steve Gladden, who uh, leads, uh, I think it's called the Small Group uh, Network. He's the guy uh, Rick, with Rick Warren. They've been together for about 25 years. And uh, he teaches the purpose-driven you know, small group ministry. And about a year ago, he was at my house, and we had a conversation around this. And we actually agreed. So let me, let me give you the metaphor. It's a visual metaphor where Steve and I agreed. Um, if you can think of my hand here, and uh, the, at the core of my hand is disciple-making, okay? Disciple-making or being a disciple is at the core. Then you've got outreach, worship, fellowship. Uh, he calls uh, discipleship, but when you really press into Rick Warren's model, it's really education, Bible education. And then... Uh, um, ministry. So the five purposes actually fit as long as you realize the core is disciple making. And uh, so we have a we have a, a diagram Steve Gladden and I have been working on to show the truth of this. Hmm. Well, that th that sort of leans in a little bit to language really matters. The words we use matter. The narrative we put on words matter. You, you've used so far in this conversation the word discipleship disciple, disciple-making, disciple-makers, education. Uh, let's just lean in a little bit to even the words. Like you, you, you didn't title this book Discipleship, the Core Mission of the Church, you know, disciple-making. So I'm assuming there's even something to the specific words you've chosen. So let's Let's press in a little bit to definitions and your choice of words. Yeah, this is fun, Todd. I'm so glad you're bringing this up because language is really important for clarity of thought. Um, one of the difficulties that we have oftentimes in the church today is different words mean different things to different people. And so when I say, for example, discipleship, most people think, oh, Bible education. In fact, there's a book that came out last year that's a really good book. It's called Deep Discipleship. And uh, when you read the book, the book is actually deep Bible education. And so um, I corresponded with the author, and uh, I said, this is a great book, but I'm, I published a list of the top 10 books in disciple making every year. I said, I want it to be in the top 10, but I got to tell you, I think education is only a subset of Jesus-style disciple-making. And he didn't respond, didn't respond. So I sent him another email saying, 
Hope I didn't offend you. He emails back. He says, actually, I agree with you. <laughs> so I, you know, it was encouraging. So let me, let me just throw this out. And by the way, in the book, we cover it. So um, the word discipleship is actually not in the Bible. Discipleship is simply linguistically the state of being a disciple. Now, I think it's okay for people to use the word, you know, I lead discipleship.org. But what we try to do with discipleship.org is to define it. Um, the preferable expression to me to really get at what the Bible is talking about and what Jesus was talking about is making disciples or disciple making, because that expression is in the text. That's Matthew 28. So uh, we define disciple making as entering, and, and I'm going to go back to, we try, we tried to define it after Jesus. Okay. So when you read through the gospels, the gold standard of disciple making, or what some people call discipleship is going to be what Jesus did with his disciples. So you can't, uh, what I believe is you can't divorce the teachings of Jesus from the method of Jesus. And the best way to get the teachings is with the method. So when we look at Jesus and we ask ourselves, how did Jesus make disciples? We want that to be the gold standard. <clears throat> so here's the uh, definition of disciple making. Disciple making is entering into relationships, because that's how di Jesus did it. Entering into relationships to intentionally help people follow Jesus, be changed by Jesus, and join the mission of Jesus. So, uh, again, I'll keep coming back all day long in defining Jesus' method as intentional, relational disciple-making. Now, some of the other definitions come out of that. Let me, let me ask real quick, Bobby, before you move on on that, uh, on discipleship versus disciple-making for a second. So um, I, I'm not an English major, but here's how I'm interpreting what you're saying. Whenever you put the word ship on the end of something, it's the state of, it's, it's the condition of. So like if I can, let me use a, maybe a dumb example, but if I took the word athlete and it, we think of an athlete and all of a sudden we were going to use this word athlete ship, you know, the, the, the state of being an athlete or the state of becoming an athlete, the focus in any definition with the word ship on the end is going to be on me. It's going to be on my thing. Yes. It is part of the part of the issue here is disciple making and the way you're defining it. It's completely about other people. And I'm assuming it's in the process of focusing on other people that the state or condition of me becoming more like Jesus is by taking my eyes off myself and on others. Is that a good way of saying it or what am I missing? Well, I, th I think, I think what you're saying is, is good. <clears throat> um, and, and getting back to the definition is so important. Yeah. So, the, so uh, Dietrich Bonhoeffer wrote the book, the cost of discipleship. And so he's trying to get the individual to look at what does it really mean for me to follow Jesus? In the sixties, there was a book called true discipleship. KP Johannan, whom both you, you and I know Todd, told me that that book radically transformed his life because it's helping the individual to see what does it really mean for me to follow Jesus? And so I think that there's a place that can be made for what you're saying. 
Again, it's a word that's not in the Bible, discipleship, and it's an English word, the state of being a disciple. So to some extent, we need to do our best to try to clarify what it would mean at its best. And I think the way you've just described it is really good. Let me contrast that, though, because this is an important point. Most people today, and Rick Warren's book, The Purpose Driven Church, demonstrated it. They think of discipleship as Bible education. And uh, so then they want more classes. They want more instruction, more books on doctrine. And there's a place for all of that. Jesus, Jesus cared about doctrine, taught doctrine to his disciples. But it's like one element, uh, and, and in some ways, one of the central elements, Bible education, but in the midst of an umbrella of things like love, coaching, trial and error, evaluation, questioning, uh, and then education, and imitation uh, as an important part of that. So I'm, I'm not sure if I'm answering your question. Yeah, no, that's good. And I cut you off before I'm moving on to the other words you were going to define. Sure. Um, <clears throat> the book has a list of definitions. Todd, do you mind if I just show so people can That's great. see the book? Just let me uh, want to encourage everybody. It literally just came out. So I'm so grateful, Todd, for you and Exponential um, uh, sharing with us. But uh, one of the things the book does is uh, we spend some time on definitions. So, for example, uh, let me give you a key definition. By the way, there it is on Amazon for those who are interested. Um, one of the key definitions is what is a disciple? If we're saying the core mission of the church is making disciples, well, what is a disciple? And by the way, you can get people in a room. I could get 10 church leaders from the same church in a room and say, what is a disciple? And those 10 people, unless the leadership's really intentional about this, those 10 people will have a different definition of what a disciple is. So if the church is to, to produce and create disciples, and we're not even clear on what a disciple is, how are we going to be effective at doing it? And so here's how we define a disciple based on Mark chapter one, where Jesus uh, said <clears throat> uh, to Peter and Andrew, come, follow me, and I will make you into fishers of men. So we're not saying that that verse was intended by God as a definition of a disciple, but what we're saying is it's pregnant. It's a pregnant invitation. And in the invitation is a great definition and everything else the new Testament teaches can be put on that framework. So what is a disciple? A disciple is somebody who's following Jesus, being changed by Jesus. That's the work of the Holy spirit. And uh, committed to the mission of Jesus. We believe that the more you become like Jesus, you're going to do what Jesus did. And what did Jesus do? And this is something that a lot of people haven't thought about. If I become like Jesus, who devoted 65% plus of his time to making disciples, can I really become like Jesus and not make disciples myself? And so it leads then to the idea that if we really love people, like if we really love another human being, the best thing a human being can ever experience is salvation in Jesus, and then in their life setting, becoming more and more like Jesus. And that includes ultimately them joining the mission. So um, other definitions, 
Like what is a disciple maker? A disciple maker enters into relationships to intentionally help people uh, follow Jesus, be changed by Jesus and join the mission of Jesus. Um, there's, there's a list in the book. And uh, for those who are watching also on discipleship.org, if you go to the about tab, there's a list of definitions there. Super important, as you know, as well as anybody, Todd, clarity of thought, what we're doing, what the end result is, because language helps us to think clearly. Yeah. Yeah. I want to encourage anybody watching, if you've got questions for Bobby about the book, uh, please start putting them into the chat and we will uh, uh, engage in those here in a little bit. Um, but all you have to do is uh, enter right into the chat. So Bobby, the, the book and your context are relative to the church, I, I, I think, in terms of the, yes. the whole of the yes. church. Yeah. Let, let me ask you before we jump into the church part of it for a second, you know, the combination of COVID and where things are headed post-COVID and everybody's predictions about whether people are coming back to church or not. What do you say when somebody's listening and yes, I want to be a disciple maker. Yes, I want, you know, I love this definition. And but I kind of had it with, you know, I'm not planning to go back to the church at this point. So why talk about where the church fits in this, because yeah. much of what you've talked about so far, someone could go do on their own without the church. Yeah. And let me just say, I would encourage, first of all, uh, I'm a strong advocate for the local church as are you Todd. So you can't really follow scripture and not have a strong attachment to the local church. The only way you can do that is by redefining church uh, to be something that the Bible doesn't describe. But let me just say this. One of the big barriers for a lot of people who care about disciple making is they say, hey, I'm not in leadership at my church and my church is all about the Sunday show and programming. And, and when, when people say that, I'm very empathetic to that. And I think that for us as individuals, we've got to be about uh, being a disciple who makes disciples, whether the church encourages it or not. And so the first thing I would say is, if it's not happening in your church, like you can still do it. In fact, one of the reasons we wrote the book um, and one of the primary ways that it's being used is to help church leaders be convinced that they've got to go back to disciple making as the core mission and Jesus method in it. One of the things that's happened in the last little while, because I, I sent out advanced copies of the PDF to reviewers is that I can tell you right now, four major churches, and they're taking all their key leaders, their elders and staff through the book, because it's a really good, short, punchy primer that helps reorient everybody with clarity around that. So I say two things. I say, uh, we can all be disciples who make disciples. I say this, it doesn't matter how busy somebody is, we can carve out five hours a week to engage in a group of three or four people uh, in a discipling relationship. We created a, an ebook that's a free ebook at renew.org um, called How to Start a Transparency Group Using the Teachings of Jesus, because I'm convinced people need a simple, effective, reproducible model. Uh, so I would say, number one, we all, all got to be disciples to make disciples. And then secondly, 
Uh, I really believe it is the core mission of the church. And we really got to call church leaders to make that their core mission personally and as a church community. Let me ask you, Bobby, and this is just a gut number. This is not the decimal point accuracy here. Um, when it comes to the church for a second, if, if we could survey, let's say 100, 1,000, whatever number of church leaders with simply the question, is the core mission of your church disciple-making? I'm, I'm wondering what your gut is of what percentage, out of whatever the sample size is, what percentage would say, yes, that is the thing. And how much of a gap is there between how, you know, if we say pastor math that we talk about all the time, are, is it way out of skew? Like are far more people thinking it's actually their core mission, but in practice it's not? Or how would you get your hands around sort of the assessment of that? Yeah, Todd, thanks for that question. Um, I'm going to bring up, I don't think you were even thinking this, but a year ago in March of 2020, just before everybody locked down with COVID-19, Exponential and Discipleship.org published a national study on the state of disciple-making in the U.S. church. And so we have a statistical basis by which we can answer your question. And there are two uh, things I would bring up. By the way, um, um, it is a, a study that's published by Exponential, and it's also published by Discipleship.org. So um, we can probably put that in the chat box. Um, what we found are two things. First off, everybody's fuzzy on their definition of a disciple. So pastors, and this was a study of senior pastors, pastors way overrate the disciple-making of their church. Because if you can define discipleship or disciple-making however you want, then, you know, you can say I'm a success. I In other words, Bobby, life. just to, if I can, I don't mean to cut you off, but what you're saying right there is, this idea of the educational part and classes, even sermons by themselves are an element of if discipleship and that system of becoming is what we're talking about, you can take just about anything in the church and link it to that. That's right. And what you what you're about to give us on statistics is not enough. If you take the if you take actual disciple making is what you're pressing into now. Yeah, and we found out that less than 5% of churches in the United States have a disciple-making culture. <clears throat> and again, that's defined with a culture where individuals, the average person, and, and the leadership of the church, they're trying to follow Jesus' method of intentional relational disciple-making. That's less than 5% of churches. So what it does is, you know, again, we got to clear the fog. Uh, the fog is what is this thing we're talking about? Is it is it some version of Bible education or any loose thing versus how are we doing as a church at replicating what Jesus did with his disciples? And when you focus on the specificity of that, it's less than 5% of churches. And they're typically smaller churches. So you're saying a first step that we've got to do in what you're calling clearing the fog. I think what I hear you saying is a large percentage 
of lead ministers and pastors would say, yes, disciple making is the core mission of our church, but in practice, the results that are being achieved would argue to the contrary, that we well, probably have a large percentage of churches that think disciple making is at the core. I don't think in, that would be true. What's that? I actually don't think that would be true. I, I think that when you first ask people what is the core mission of the church, I think people will be fuzzy. That's been my experience. Okay. Uh, now, when you ask them, how are you doing a discipleship? That's fuzzy. You know, it takes actually, there's two levels of the conversation to get to disciple making as the core. The first is um, people grappling with Matthew 28. Now, I don't think Matthew 28 was Jesus was trying to define the core mission. One of the things we do in the book is we try to do a broader biblical um, foundation that really everything going on in the New Testament keeps coming back to those two things, leading people to Christ and helping them mature in Christ. And so we just try to go through passages where Paul, for example, in Galatians says, you know, I'm perplexed, I'm upset uh, because you're infants. And at this stage, you should be more conformed to the image of Jesus. And so we do an exposition on that. So I don't think most people have clarity on that. By the way, interestingly enough, the church in the second and third centuries did. The idea of being godlike, which was often their language, uh, you know, is, uh, was really strong with them. Uh, we, and so I don't think people are biblically clear on it. And then I think practically, there are so many demands. I mean, I know what it's like to be a lead pastor. I've been one for 34 years. The pressure to produce on Sunday morning and put on good, I, I call them the three Ps, preaching, praise and worship, and programs. And the pressure to do all those things by our culture is so great and by our heritage that when you sit down and talk to people, they're, they're just confused uh, in reality about it. So, Bobby, just like, you know, without an official assessment kind of thing, how does, if someone watching right now wants to get their hands around, are we a disciple-making church? Are we putting disciple-making as our core mission functionally, what are the two or three or four or five behaviors? How, how does someone just anecdotally kind of get their hands around, are they a disciple-making church? Yeah, that's a really good question. It's real specific. So I'm, I'm just going to describe, Todd, what you and I would call a level four church. So uh, if somebody's watching and they don't know, a, a level one is that they're losing disciples. Level two would be, it's just plateauing. As many people are being disciples today as they were a year ago. Level three is they're adding disciples, and they'd be adding through the preaching, the programs, and the praise and worship. They're just adding in disciples, and they're hoping people will be discipled by the programs. Level four changes, and here's what that is. First off, with leadership, behind every decision made by leadership is how does this help us to make disciples who make disciples? So budget, time, um, structure. So that's, that's one key question. 
The second question goes back to the scorecard. How are we evaluating our church? And so you're going to want to look at uh, some key metrics. How many people are becoming disciples? How many people as a percentage of the church are in discipling relationships? How many disciple-making leaders and apprentices do we have? How is the multiplication of groups and ultimately churches? Because if you're making disciples who make disciples, it's going to lead to making disciples who plant churches that make disciples that plant churches. And so the, the scorecard then for these images is built around there. In the report that we co-published with uh, Exponential, there is a summary of a level four church. Um, there are so far that we can find no level five churches where disciple making is so much the culture. It's everybody is just does it and understands it. But there are level four churches. And what I encourage most leaders today is let's start with level four. Let's go to level four in how we orient ourselves. And I think, Bobby, in those four or five things that you rattled off on the, the scorecard part, the first one you said of how many are becoming disciples, that, that, is a, that is inherently the most fundamental at the level three metric that we have. It's the how many people are here and how many are kind of being added. The rest of your metrics are really the distinguishing factor with level four and five. So for somebody who's saying in their mind, well, how do I move from one, two, and three to four or five? On the metric side of it, it's sort of instinctive that you need, you know, you would need to be looking at not just how many are you adding, but how many of those are in relationships to reproduce into others, how many are yeah. reproducing into others. You're, you know, they say that what you measure is what matters and what you're going to get. And in this case, if all we measure is the state of discipleship, the activity, the program, the budget, the, the, the number of people in seats on Sunday, that's not necessarily giving us any kind of indicator of disciple making. Yeah, that, that's, that's exactly right, Todd. And let me mention uh, the reason I talked about people becoming disciples. I meant lost people coming to faith. Um, you look for key metrics, um, and one of the key metrics is going to be that this thing's becoming owned by the people in the church. In other words, the language is, this is how we do things around here. We see people coming to faith as disciples, growing as disciples, discipling others, multiplying groups. Um, one of the other ways to look at it is level three is we're drawing everything into the church. Level four is we're pushing the church uh, I'm sorry, we're drawing everything into the leadership of the church. Level four is we're pushing everything out to the average everyday person in the church. They're being activated and mobilized to be disciples who make disciples. Hmm. Bobby, we've got a question uh, from the audience that is, uh, this person is saying, my church is not a disciple-making church, and, and I'd like to change that. How will your book help me in the process of making the change? Uh, that's an easy question. The first thing is to get people to think clearly about this. And, uh, you know, I'm just grateful to God that this all worked out because this book is really good for lay leaders and uh, elders, whatever your leadership structure is, uh, to walk them through 
it's um, God gave us and and real clarity in it. By the way, part of that was you, Todd. You uh, critiqued one of the early chapters, and we totally revised it. So thanks for that. Um, really, uh, to to be candid, that that book's real helpful. Another book that's helpful is Disciple Shift, that is an exponential and a discipleship.org book. Um, because I think clarity is clarity of thought is the most important thing. Then the second thing is activation. Once the leaders become convinced that disciple making is the core mission, they have got to personally set about to practice it before they ask the church to do it. So many uh, senior leaders want to, they get convicted about disciple making, and then they want to tell the whole church, here's how we're going to do it when they actually haven't first lived it out. So we always tell people, um, you want to make sure that you're doing what you want your church to do. Because uh, in disciple making, the, the leadership has to model it. I, I have an expression I like, uh, you can't lead where you don't go. Uh, you can't teach what you don't know. And you can't give to others what you can't show in your own life. Hmm. So let me echo back on that, you know, the question of how will the book help me? Um, what I've heard you say, Bobby, you, you know of a number of churches or a growing number of churches at this point where they're going to take their staff and elders through the book. And I'm assuming the purpose of that is to what you're calling clear the fog. Let's, let's all get focused on, is this even something we want? We want disciple making at the core and you said the book includes definitions, so it's probably trying to unite <clears throat> elder boards and staff teams on a set of vocabulary. So one element is priming the pump of what you're calling clearing the fog, getting people on the same page that this is a direction we want to go. Yeah. Is that safe to say? Yeah, oh, yeah. very much so. So, for example, I know of a church right now in Indiana. It's a church of 6,000, and they just texted me this morning. They're taking all their key leaders through it for that exact purpose, because they've said it's got to be the core for us. You know, coming out of COVID-19, Todd, if I can just, this is a bit of a tangent, but it's important. Coming out of COVID-19, I've heard a lot of people say, we got to get back to disciple making. And, you know, so I've been paying real careful attention through discipleship.org, renew.org, and exponential. And unfortunately, a lot of people are talking, but not a lot of people are actually practically doing things that are going to end up there. And so I find that a little bit distressing. It's kind of like, yeah, we want to do disciple making. We got to get back to disciple making, but right now we got to get back to how we were doing church before COVID-19. And okay. it's like, whoa, that's schizophrenic. Um, so when you look at real practical, how do you make it happen? What I'm finding is, and again, this was a serendipity thing because I wasn't originally going to be the, the co-author on this book. But um, through my relationships, I've got a church, the Church of 6500 in, in uh, Indiana. They're taking everybody through it. I know of another church, a really big church um, in uh, Louisville that's doing it. I'm, I met with the leadership of uh, Christ Church of the Valley in uh, Phoenix a few weeks ago, and they have 600 small groups. And they told me they're probably going to get everybody who's leading a small group to go through the book. So let, so let me let me ask, let me take it one step deeper, Bobby. Let's say, you know, you've got churches that are doing what you just said, going through the book, taking elders through, trying to clear the fog. 
I want to link this to kind of operating system now. We we have operating systems in our church that, you know, that value your three Ps, the the preaching and the worship and the and the program part of it. It's and, preaching, praise and worship and program. Praise and worship. There you go. To get the P. <laughs> so it's uh it's there. Hey, I'm so. a baby boomer. I've got to use alliteration. There you go. So the operating system that is in most of our churches that produce what you just said and helps us with, you know, the growth kind of things we've done, it, what happens after the fog clears now? It, are, are you expecting these churches are going to completely change their operating system or what's the, you know, it's like I'm a little skeptical that churches of 6,000 are just going to go like fully change their operating system. So what what's the get like it's a little bit easier to talk about that in brand new churches launching new churches that start with a disciple making operating system but what's your words of wisdom or you know you've got the let's say pick a church of 6000 that takes their elders and their staff through and they're like we got to go after this we're all for it and then there's the reality that they're probably not re, they're probably going to do more evolutionary change than they are revolutionary change at that point so what's that look like? How's the book help with the evolutionary change toward significant impacts in the operating system without actually blowing up the operating system? No, that's really good, Todd. So um, one of the things I've done is I've de developed a paradigm using John Cotter's uh, system of change, how you change an organization. You know, it starts out creating a sense of urgency building a guiding coalition, implementing change. Um, so uh, uh, the Relational Discipleship Network does a great job in helping churches with that. And um, this system that we've talked about, maybe we could do a discussion about it uh, at another time. You, you've got to create that sense of urgency. And I think it's there. Like all you got to do is look at the statistics from Barna on what's happening in our culture. So the crisis is there. You got to capture that crisis. You got to help people to see that crisis. And then the next thing that I try to do is I try to get them, you got to get your leaders aligned because you're not going to go anywhere. If you're a church leader in an established church without getting your leader aligned, the bigger the church, like you said, the harder it is going to be to make that shift. So what you've got to do is you've got to have clarity of thought. So what I do is I get these key leaders Part of it is a private mentoring group that I'm doing because there are some key leaders that ask me to help them. Um, and so what I'm doing is I'm getting them to get all their leaders aligned because that's the most important first step. Then I'm having them experiment with different disciple-making models. As you and I both know, there's not one way to make disciples. So I'm having them experiment with it and so that they're living it out, they're, they're refining the model, and then I'm, I'm making something real complex short. Then what they'll do is they'll take that model and they'll have every department in the whole church and everybody in the church uh, transition their minds and use this model. So what you want in a church is a simple, effective, reproducible model. What you find in level four churches, and especially in level five, is they don't do it five ways. Here's how we do it. In most cases, 
uh, Level 5 Churches, it's Discovery Bible Study, uh, which we could talk about that if you want. I'm not convinced that <clears throat> Discovery Bible Study is going to be as effective here in North America. We're working on a tweak on Discovery Bible Study with an exponential associate, uh, Myron Pierce, actually. And, uh, but you've got to get a simple, effective, and reproducible model. Hmm. And so, Bobby, it's safe to say that what the new book you've just released with Disciple Making being the core mission of the church, it's going to help get people on the path toward change, unifying the leadership, clearing the fog, and then the hard work of the, the change implementation. And the church is going to have to decide the scope of where they go on an implementation. <clears throat> yeah, let me mention something. And Brooks, if you could put this uh, up for everybody. Todd, in partnership with Exponential, after we did the national study, we develop a church assessment so that you can see where your church is at on the five levels. And uh, what I'm going to, what I here's what I do uh, when I'm helping somebody, and I mostly I don't do that, but I know who can help. But what I do is I'll have them take an assessment of their church uh, to see where you're at. So once you've been persuaded that this is what you should do, let's look at reality. Let's see where we're at because reality is our friend. And then let's try to shift and let's try to move toward level four. What I also do is I ask the church leaders to take the inventory on disciple making. Again, discipleship.org and Exponential pioneered this because I, I want the leaders of the church to be the prime models of disciple making. And again, um, <clears throat> it's going to be them practicing Jesus-style disciple making in their own lives. Um, and then once you persuade the leaders, they've got to do it, and you help them to evaluate where they're at, to coach them to be practitioners who try to lead the whole church. Yeah. You mentioned, uh, we've got another question here. You, you mentioned at one point, you know, trying to get people five hours a week into some kind of discipling relationship and group. Um, the question that we've got is this, people are so busy in this generation, busy, 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 going in lots of directions. You know, I'll use my words now. We have a hard enough time getting a couple hours a week to get them to come to church and yeah, get into right. a group. So how was the five <laughs> hours a, like a, an actual number you're seeing that that's the key or, you know, what's, what's really the commitment we need to try to get people to? And then how do we actually do that given all the tension? By the way, this is a, this mind. is a great this is a great question. And that free resource I mentioned earlier at renew.org, how to start a transformation group using the teachings of Jesus, maps this out. So I'll just describe it briefly because it's not the only way. There's many ways to do it. Um, here's what I recommend in the context of busyness. I'll use my wife as an example. So uh, we call these transformation groups. They're same gender. That means that it would be my wife, Cindy, with like three or four women. I've done it uh, uh, regularly. And I and it's typically three to five guys. Three is better than five. Uh, so say three. One of my friends calls them, calls them the core four. So it's you and three others. It's like Jesus with Peter, James, and John. And what I do is I encourage people, especially if they're busy, 
you have the flexibility with this. So for example, uh, if I'm discipling a group of guys, I'll use the, my most recent example. They have kids and they have wives and they have busy schedules. One guy teaches at Vanderbilt. Another guy's a school principal. Another guy's our worship leader. Uh, and so I was discipling these guys through. And what we found is that we wanted, you want to have a weekly meeting. And the best way for these guys was Tuesday nights from 830 to 930. We had our weekly meeting on Zoom because guess what they could do? They could spend time with their wives and kids, get the kids to bed, and then spend an hour or an hour and 15 minutes uh, on Zoom for the content part of the meeting. And then in addition to that, they can get done in a decent time, 9.30, 9.45, and then they got to bed. Now, that's the hub of what we're doing. Around that, we teach the disciple-making rhythms of a life with Jesus. So the ideal would be once a month, we're also getting together for a meal or, and you do, you make sure you do these uh, once a month, or we're going to serve the poor together or somebody in need. So uh, my most recent group, we spent a day helping a widow renovate her house uh, just because it needed to be spruced up. Or uh, in the rhythms, you see that Jesus would Sabbath with his disciples. And so we'll also do Sabbath. And, and for us, that could be we just spend half a day uh, with, with the families at a picnic, or it could be going to a football game together. It's like rest and relaxation together. So it really helps it to be relational. So you have the content every week, and that's just an hour, hour and 15 minutes. Then you have the monthly gathering that's going to be three or four hours. In addition to that, there should be communication. If I'm discipling guys, it's not just like once a week. I'm going to be texting them. How's it going with, uh, you know, this problem at work that you're having, or, you know, we're going to be having feedback. And I'm saying like five hours a week would be the max, but everybody can fit that in. Now, what's better than doing it on Zoom? Uh, and I say, if I'm discipling guys, is we meet um, every Wednesday at 6 a.m. for breakfast. And, uh, you know, we, we plan an hour and a half from 6 to 7.30. We have breakfast together. We talk about life. But then we walk through curriculum because curriculum is an important part of it. Um, I want the guys in the word because here's where change comes. It's the word of God, the people of God, the spirit of God, joining the mission of God. When you have those four elements in a discipling relationship, that's how people change. Um, Bobby, is there a way for people to get the this outline of the rhythm you're talking about? Or Yes. Uh, Jason Dukes is actually a guy who uh, pioneered it uh, in terms of the rhythms. But I'm going to give you a link. I'll try to just text it to Brooke right now of where you can get this. Uh, again, it's free. Um and I don't want to come across like I'm trying to just pitch stuff. It's just people need an effective way to do it. Yeah. And we have found that, that uh, this is the most effective way. Actually, what we did, Todd, is that uh, we, we wanted to study using the personal assessment that exponentialanddiscipleship.org developed. We wanted to study a model of coaching 
senior leaders in a church where they could personally start living it out. Hmm. And so as we developed this model, what we did is we had them take the assessment and find out where they're at in the profile of one to five on disciple making. Then we took that assessment, we coupled them with a coach. That coach met with, with the group once a month and them individually once a month on Zoom. And each of these men or women started one of these groups. Uh, we just took them on a like a six-month journey. They started one of these groups. They committed to the rhythms. We told them it would take five hours max. And then we guided them through it. And then afterwards, we had them all retake the inventory. And what we found is that when we did that, uh, that there was significant life change um, in, in the lives of these people. So this, mo- this material has been vetted out. Um, I am having trouble. Let me see if I can get it here for you guys. Yeah. And we'll, we'll, uh, we'll get the link out, Bobby, separately. Um, I want to thank you for being with us today. We'll need to wind down here. And uh, I want to encourage everyone, this book is available on Amazon, Disciple Making, the Core Mission of the Church. And as Bobby said, it's, it's the first in a whole series of books that are going to come out from Renew.org. Um, you'll want to be looking at the entire package of the, how many books, Bobby? Twelve? Yeah, there'll be 12 books. We call it the, it's called Real Life Theology, uh, Fuel for Faithful and Effective Disciple Making. And so it's not just this first book that's going to be good to go through with elders and staff teams, but I'm assuming the entire series here is going to be a good set of resources for. We sure hope so. And they're designed to be used in discipling relationships. Great. Well, Bobby, any parting words for people? And thank you for being with us. Todd, I just want to thank you. Uh, for all the encouragement and the co-laboring on these concepts. I feel like we're, we're talking as two guys who've been working on this stuff for, you know, 10 plus years, trying to be clear in our thinking and, and what the Bible teaches and how we can encourage other leaders. And uh, your, your, your wisdom and your collaboration and the focus of Exponential on disciple making makes it a great partnership. So thanks for who you are and what you're doing. Well, and thank you, Bobby. We, uh, as I tell people all the time, we're uh, completely reliant and accomplishing our mission on you accomplishing your mission of disciple making. So uh, thank you for the work thank, you're doing. Thanks for that pressure. Yeah. All right. Thank you, Bobby. Thank you.